I am Liz House. I am an author and a Bible teacher. And here on The Root and Fruit, we talk about the root, which are the things underlying that, you know, look below the surface in our lives that need to be eradicated, as well as the deep areas that we need to grow spiritually. And then the fruit, the areas of our life where we're working on living out our faith and the evidence and outpouring of that faith. So today we are actually going to be talking about faith, maybe from a little bit different perspective than you have before, hopefully so. Uh, we're actually going to start in Genesis 22. Now this part is not new, but maybe what you get from it is going to probably be new. Uh, many of you who have been a Christian for a while may be familiar with this story. If not, you know this might be a bit of a shocking story. Uh, but this is the story in which God tests Abraham uh, in regards to his son. So I'm going to read it and then we're going to dissect the parts that are probably new to you. So in Genesis 22, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, uh, Here, what? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Y'all have to forgive me. So God said, Abraham. And Abraham replied, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. So, you know, Abraham goes and he readies them and he takes them up to the mountain. And then when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And then he bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But... The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham replied, here I am again. And then God said, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now what's really interesting about this passage is multiple things. Uh, right after this, of course, Abraham finds a ram that was caught in a bush. He's able to sacrifice that as a worship offering to the Lord um, but I don't know if you guys caught it, but in verse 12, God said to Abraham, don't do anything to him because now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son. Now, what's interesting about this is that many of us know is that God is omniscient. And what that means is that God is all knowing. Now, if you take a being, which is all knowing, that means there's nothing he does not know. Correct. And yet, in this verse, he says, now I know. So it's a bit of a theological conundrum, right? Like, how can you now know something if you already know everything, right? Because God knows everything that could be in the future. He knows everything in the past. He knows everything that will happen ever in the history of eternity in the past, as well as everything that will happen in the future for all eternity. So it's a very interesting statement for him to say, now I know. And this was confusing to me for many years, but Dr. Tony Evans I was listening to a sermon he preached on this one day, and he really helped clarify this, and I definitely want to give him credit for that because I did not come up with this part. Um, he said that this particular portion probably references the fact that even though God knows everything that is, the only thing that he doesn't necessarily have is the experience of it, right? So he already knows what you will choose, but he wants to experience it alongside you. And so I started to think about that, and I was like, you know what? That does make sense. And, you know, scripture describes God as like a father to us. And so I am a mother to five children. And so I started to think about how I feel as a mother when I'm about to give my child a gift. 
And I want to be there to experience it with them. In fact, just yesterday was St. Patrick's Day and, you know, I had planned this whole thing for them. You know, they're, they're still young and so they still want to search out for the leprechaun and they want to set leprechaun traps and, you know, it's all just silly games. They know it's pretend, but they like to pretend. And so we let them know it's, it's pretend, but we enjoy it. So, you know, they get really into it. And so I had planned this entire thing in the morning time. I was going to lay out Lucky Charms all over the kitchen and have little tiny footprints everywhere with the leprechaun who had come into the kitchen, steal, you know, Lucky Charms and eat it and left his footprints behind. I put some mini footprints in their car seats so that they could, again, just be part of the whole experience of the leprechaun came, right? But my husband is the one who at this phase in our life is the one getting my two older ones up to go to school. And so he's the one who got them up. And so he was the one who got to see their experiences or their reactions when they saw all of it. He got to see them squealing with excitement, looking all around the house for the leprechaun. He got to see them when they got into their car seats and saw the leprechaun feet. And I had missed all of it. And I remember being really disappointed. And I asked my husband later that evening, I'm like, what happened with the leprechaun? What'd they say? What did they do? You know, I was the one who gave the gift, but I wasn't necessarily the one to experience it. And there was a disappointment involved in that. And I think that speaks to my heart as a parent you know i want to be part of what the lord what i have for my kids and you know the lord is the same way with us he wants to be a part of our lives he wants to be a part of what it looks like when we choose to have faith in him he wants to be a part of us getting to experience the resulting knowledge of the great gifts and blessings that he pours out on us because of our faith and our choices in regards to faith in fact for abraham one of the reasons why the Lord said he's going to be the father of many nations and why we all kind of descend from him is because of this choice in regards to faith. There's no way in the moment Abraham had any clue what the resulting outpouring would be of blessings because he chose in this moment to trust that God could do anything. And in fact, when we read the New Testament, we get a little bit of an insight into what Abraham was thinking here because on the surface, it looks pretty brutal. Like, how could you possibly sacrifice your son? But in the New Testament, we're given, in, given insight that what he was thinking at that time is that, look, I recognize what the Lord's asked me to do, but I believe him so much that I know that he can just resurrect Isaac from the dead. Uh, and so he was willing to do it because he believed God so much because he, what Abraham did know is that what God had told him is that through Isaac, through his son, that he would then bring forth an entire nation. And so Abraham's thinking to himself, well, how in the world can you bring forth a nation from my son if I kill my son? And so in this moment, we see that he was believing and trusting in God so much that he knew that, okay, even if I take this action, I know you can bring him back to life. I know you can do something miraculous here. And so he was willing to take that step. And because of his step of faith, we saw the tremendous blessing. And so I wanted to go a little bit into the subject of faith. Um, I'm gonna read a portion from uh, a book that I've written that will be coming out, you know, in the next few months. But I want to read a portion of it today because I think it's really important. So it has to do with the subject of faith. And here's what I wrote. So interestingly, the only time we see Jesus amazed at anything in the Bible is in relation to the subject of faith. This is fascinating because we're talking about God himself actually being amazed at something. You know, again, we're going back to him being omniscient and yet he can experience amazement, even being omniscient. And again, it goes back to because he wants to experience life with us he may have head knowledge of it he may have um he may be aware of what's to come but he wants to experience it with us he wants to be part of our human experience because 
He loves us and we're his children. And just like I want to be part of my kid's experience, he wants to be part of our experience as well. So, you know, both times we see Jesus being amazed, as it's written in scripture, it's in relation to human beings and their choice in regards to faith. The first account is in Luke. Let's read it. So when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There was a centurion servant who his master valued highly, and he was sick and was about to die. So the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, that I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Jesus, son of God himself, was amazed by the level of belief the centurion had in the power of Christ. First, the centurion believed that it was not Jesus' physical presence that healed, as opposed to the traditional doctor who would spend time evaluating, diagnosing, and treating. Rather, he believed Jesus' unlimited power was enough and not bound by physical presence. Secondly, the centurion also displayed an amazing lack of pride. He insisted he didn't even deserve to be in the presence of Christ. Given his position as a centurion, he could have made many demands of the humans around him. But instead, he chose a lowly position as he recognized to whom he was speaking. Lastly, the centurion recognized that Jesus' word was enough. We now know from John's gospel that Jesus is the word of God. And through just his word, he created the entire universe as we know it. Jesus had searched all over Israel for one of the Israelites, a.k.a. the chosen people, to have this level of faith. And no one came close in the comparison. The irony, of course, is that the Israelites had the advantage here. They knew the robust history of God's faithfulness and miracles, and yet they did not believe on the level of the centurion. On the flip side, we see Jesus amazed once again in regards to the subject of faith, but this time it's not the good type of amazement. So Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who had heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Ooh, this one hurts. It kind of hits a raw nerve to imagine that my own choice to be wimpy in faith could amaze Jesus as he walks through life with me. Maybe you can relate too. It's interesting to study this particular passage as we look at what those at the synagogue were thinking, right? First, they acknowledge Jesus' superfluous, superfluous amount of wisdom. They see and acknowledge he's performing miracles, and they recognize that these are clearly extraordinary and otherworldly. Yet, despite all this, they still don't believe that he is who he says he is. What breaks my heart to the core, honestly, is this statement. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. You know, saying God could not do something is a really interesting statement to begin with. God is literally all-powerful, right? He's omnipotent. 
So the Bible reminds us several times that nothing is impossible for him. So why couldn't he do miracles there? Well, when Mark says that Jesus could not perform any mighty works there, he isn't suggesting that the Lord was debilitating in some manner. The could not is more a principle than of power. Jesus knew that performing a miracle wouldn't have made one bit of difference for these individuals. You know, their lack of faith, it wasn't like that controlled him. It's not like Jesus can only perform miracles if we have faith. We aren't the puppeteers while he is the puppet, right? Like, how blasphemous. He doesn't have to go around doing miracles just to prove himself to us. In fact, he owes us nothing. Rather, his miracles often have deeper spiritual purposes than what they appear on the surface. They're less about the physical than they are about the state of our souls. They're often tied to exponentially growing our faith, which is something he is concerned about. Unfortunately, these individuals at the synagogue that day had already chosen to harden their hearts. They had already seen miracles and wisdom from Jesus, but they still didn't believe. Therefore, to do more miracles would not have deepened their spiritual walk or faith in any way. As such, the miracles became pointless, and he quote-unquote could not do any that would be sufficient enough to soften their intentionally hardened hearts. You know, so in contrast, I really want to be a Christian who's willing to choose faith, to fight for faith, to find even the smallest mustard seed of faith. You know, I want to be the type of Christian that brings joy to my father's heart when I choose to believe him, despite anything I can see in my physical eyes. I, would, I wonder if you do too. You know, I think it's depressingly ironic that it wasn't the disciples with genuine faith in this passage. The parents were the ones who believed enough to authentically ask for freedom. They took the leap to trust that it could actually happen for them. You know, Jesus wants to experience faith with us. He wants us to experience the jaw-dropping outcome when we have it. And so I just really want to encourage you today to choose to have faith. He wants to experience it with you. That's the part that he wants to do. He wants to have with us. You know, he wants to exclaim about us the same way he did with Abraham. Now I know because I've experienced it with you. I've watched you come down and, and discover the leprechaun had done all the things, right? Like he wants to, us to experience his gifts and his blessings but it generally starts with a test on our behalf, just like it did for Abraham. It starts with, will you choose to trust that me as your father, I can give good gifts? And there's a Bible verse that says, you know, if you who are sinful know how to give good gifts to your kids, similar like I did with my leprechaun, right? Uh, how much more do I as your heavenly father want to pour out good gifts on those who love me? Um, yeah, you know, that was a paraphrase, but... That's essentially what it says, that the Lord has great gifts for us, and he wants to pour them out on us, and he as the Heavenly Father is going to take care of us, but we need to be willing to choose faith so that he can experience life with us. We can invite him into our world, and we can choose to do things that please him. So I'll be praying for you guys that uh, you also will be ready and willing to step out in faith for him. Uh, if you want to continue this conversation, meet me on Instagram at Author Liz House or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Author Liz House or on Twitter at Author Liz House. Uh, I look forward to speaking to you guys more about this subject and I'll be praying for you guys. Love you. this week's podcast make sure you rate and subscribe five stars helps reach more listeners so they too have ample opportunities for growth and change subscribing also ensures you are the first to know whenever i release new episodes you can find this podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcasts 
Also, if you enjoy mini opportunities to be uplifted throughout the week, make sure you follow me at Instagram at author Liz House, where I share spiritual growth tips as well as some humor. I'm also on Twitter at at author Liz House and Facebook at facebook.com slash author Liz House. Until next time, pray this with me. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Holy Lord. Thank you.